Okay, thank you, everybody. <clears throat> so, in this period of time, I would like to uh, speak to you around uh, the field of experience, touch upon some uh, aspects of that, explore from a uh, deeper uh, level, and then uh, make uh, the time available afterwards in case uh, you have any questions or any uh, responses. Um, yesterday there was a little, as we say in English, glitch, pardon me, and um, I asked Dula yesterday uh, evening, we went to uh, the Zoom and it looks, it appears like I pressed a button which reduce the size of everything and needed to bring it back, I didn't realize this, into the full screen mode and everything is up and running. So I'm um, still endeavoring to be very mindful of touching any of these uh, buttons. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, first in the area and the, and the field of experience. Um, the uh, go to the old language for a moment pali sister language of the buddha the buddha spoke pali um, the language is extraordinarily precise in the diversity of words completely concentrated to the human experience to a relationship to the world of things around us and other people it really is a mind body world language with far greater themes, uh, subtleties of language and expression that we can find in English. Not only in the constructions of the words, but the way they form together. So what I mean by that is, we have the English word experience. And the Pali word is pati sam vedi. Vedi is feeling. And this morning, uh, Sonia spoke to you about uh, feeling. Um, the word is also sam, is coming together, ways and means that things come together. So an experience is a coming together of feelings, of energy, of memory, of perceptions, of impressions, thoughts, and more, and more. And in that movement, one may be more dominant than the other, there is a forming together, a compounding, a meeting together, which has feeling in it. And that meeting together forms an experience. In a simple but possibly useful way, feeling, or sorry, experiences can be explored in one way or the other. And it's worthy of some reflection. There are experiences which are called, Dharma language, remember, called worldly. So worldly experiences are just the everyday activities 
that you and I are engaged in from getting up to brushing our teeth, having a conversation, doing some housework, um, doing a bit of shopping or whatever it might be. Ordinary, everyday, worldly experiences. The importance of this is to recognize and be quite clear these are worldly experiences and not to have a romantic idealism somewhat born, if I dare I say, out of the Anglo-German romantic poetry period of a century or two ago and rather than have a view life is spiritual which is a very one-sided view of life to be clear and honest in which there are aspects of the daily life which are worldly i just gave some small examples but there is also that which is spiritual and it's very hard to define what is spiritual in the way that it's used the way that christopher uses it um, the way the, uh, the buddha uses it when you and i are not preoccupied with worldly things the jobs, the tasks, the meetings, the communications, the conversations, or whatever. When we're not engaged in the everyday material things, and we not necessarily intentionally stand back from it, there is a receptivity, and that receptivity allows the whisper, the intimation, the sense of that which is spiritual that may show itself in looking at a plant and appreciating its interconnectedness it may show itself in the observation of some art it may show itself in a poetry in a meditation in our silence in looking up at the night sky in a deep experience and much much more so human being like left hand and the right hand says yes there is the worldly aspects of life we can attend to them they are part of our life we're not trying to make life some totally spiritual experience this i call romantic idealism but we're not going to neglect it either and and we're going to allow ourselves to be receptive under that umbrella concept spiritual meaning the absence of consumerism in those moments the absence of materialism the absence of trying to get what i want the absence of jobs and tasks and everything so that receptivity to what called spiritual which can come through our senses through our mindfulness through our meditations through the silences, through the stillnesses, let's be touched with that. Let's have the capacity to recognize, wow, life includes the spiritual. It may show itself, as some of the mystics say, in the mysterium tremendum. So sometimes the mystics will say, oh, life is a, an incredible, vast, 
mystery. It's a tremendous mystery. It is for those who haven't gone deep enough. But for those who have gone deeper, it's no mystery about it at all. So we explore the spiritual, we explore the worldly. Is there an opportunity in our life, in the daily life, to remember the sense of the spiritual? And sometimes we need the intimations of it. You can't see here, but on the wall, I'm just pointing my hand here. See, I'm in, I'm in, the, in the living room of uh, home. And on the wall here is uh, Shiva and Pavati. This is the romantic spiritual. So Shiva's sitting in the caves in the Himalayas. This is the story. Goes back centuries and centuries in dear old uh, Mother India, there. And Pavati is the most beautiful woman of the Himalayas. And Pavati is walking through the Himalayas and she sees Shiva sitting in the cave on a tiger skin, which doesn't get my vote at all. And in sitting in the cave, Pavati walks over she enters into the cross-legged posture and she sits right in front of Shiva. Whereas the Buddha sent away the, the, the so-called women that came, Shiva just sits and Pavati sits in front of him and they keep completely still and out of that comes a deep connection. And Shiva and, and Pavati are engaged in the dance of the universe. This is how the story goes. Just use it as a small illustration. Uh, there, it's a small reminder. Next, right next, there's a batik, which I got in India, rather beautiful one, I must say, 20, 30 years ago, hanging up in the living room here of the, of the Saranath Buddha. I'm a keen visitor to Saranath, the place where the Buddha there. So he's sitting there, and magnificent one, I'll send the photograph sometime, with the hands touching together, something uh, like this. And the hands are communicating the connections of life, the, the three jewels of life, Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, through the whole, the emptiness of all things, nothing is worth clinging to, all is in the mudra. Small things in our home, when given attention to, can contribute to the sense of the spiritual. Maybe for some, the sense of the religious. The, the sense of something more than mind and body and material things. Take an interest as you're doing by just being here, by your meditations and much, much else. And to really, key word here, is to nourish. To nourish the spiritual. And this will contribute to a balanced perspective on the material. That's its value. Yes, we have the material. We have food, clothing, accommodation medicine when we need it, things which are important to us, 
and much, much more. Really appreciating the worldly, not rejecting nor denying. Part of our experience. Can the experience of the spiritual, no matter how difficult it is to explain to anybody, even to ourselves, can the we have a sense that in the life, the spiritual is really alive and well. All to get left hand, right hand, get a good balance. We need both. Both are important. Human beings pay a heavy price for the neglect of the spiritual. We may, some may not use that word. They don't need to use that word. But the whisper of what it contains of being touched with life and it's not about material things consumerism ownership having possessing or ego and that opens up the life <clears throat> in the exploration of patisamvedi this uh, experience with the feeling component uh, in it each one of those each one of the areas of the feeling in the field of experience really matter our mindfulness exploration is a recognition of the experience sometimes with the experience particularly if it's difficult we may want to see the impermanence of it very quickly it's understandable something's happening and it's difficult and uh, it's troubling and one the real wish that it stops of course it's human the real wish that it goes away that difficult experience quickly We, and we and then we use the buddhist language oh everything is impermanent therefore i want this difficult experience to be impermanent like all the other and it's difficult <clears throat> it takes a little quiet authority of the being in which the view changes from the desire for it to stop from the desire to accept it, both of which are very problematic, to one to be able to see what is going on with this experience. If it disappeared very quickly, I'm not sure if we're going to get any real insight. If we accept it, oh, this is it, I must accept this self-acceptance, I touched upon this yesterday. It could be a very passive response. But we're not interested in a passive response, at least I'm not. Interested in a passive response. Not interested to get rid of something quickly. We're interested in bringing mindfulness to the challenge of the difficult experience. And not easy, because trying to accept trying to get rid of a bit of pressure on us. See, what is this experience revealing? And that means 
in the face of a, an experience, <clears throat> the content of it, the, uh, the story of it, the description of it is like a magnet. The description and the story kind of attracts us as humans. The consciousness, that means being conscious, is attracted into it. And the self is attracted. I am experiencing this. I don't like experiencing this. So the whole self consciousness is pulled into it, uh, identifies with it. And so there's the, the experiencer and the experience and the story all get locked in together. The polite word for this is hell. So we're trying to explore a different view. Not easy. To find a little bit of space. This is what is happening right now. You're not lying to yourself. You're not deceiving. You're not uh, trying to escape. This experience is what is happening. What is there to be seen and understood in this experience? And it only takes a little insight, a little shift in the way of looking, and the compound, that means the coming together of the experience, starts to get weaker because experience gets weaker. That's the, this is the painful one now. The painful experience gets weaker through the insight that comes through it. And the word for insight, you will know, is, is vipassana. So V means to double in this case. And pasa is making direct contact with and to double the contact. That means to see it so clearly, one sees through the story, one sees it more clearly and it starts to lose the grip. It begins to fade. If it's an insight, it will definitely begin to fade. And our exploration <coughs> is recognizing the field of experience and tuning into the feeling that's in that field there and recognizing what kind of feeling it is. When the feeling is unpleasant, whatever it might be, about the virus, about the situation, about our life, about our present, future, or whatever, if, we, if there is a lot of identification with the feeling, the unpleasant feeling, the imagination starts to enter the experience and there only has to be a little fear with that experience, that painful one. And the fear begins to exaggerate it. It puts the wood on the fire. So if you're experiencing something difficult, recognize the feeling, see it as clearly as you can there, 
and in a way say to yourself, I'm going to be extremely careful, mindful, because this is what the practice is. I'm really going to be mindful. Is any fear entering into this? And fear is the past. Fear is the old. Fear is that which is unresolved. And if we can just remember that, we won't exaggerate the place of fear. We say, oh gosh, this old fear is now entering into this unpleasant experience. And therefore, we're not giving fear authority. And not giving fear, fear authority is called wisdom. So be mindful of the painful experience. Is it getting exaggerated? and therefore making a situation harder. Be mindful of an experience to see what the insight is to break up the experience. Then there's the neutral one. <clears throat> um, I'm, I'm, as a Dharma waller, um, time to time, our, um, I don't know if it's like the same in your country, <clears throat> But our uh, um, politicians will come, the health minister and the prime minister and the advisors and so forth, to speak about the situation. And, and our politicians, seems to me, probably, on the daily basis, are saying to us, we are relying upon the scientific evidence and the scientific advice of our scientists, medical scientists and other uh, uh, scientists. And I listen to this and I think, oh, no, you're not. There's too many other in the field that's going on inside the human being, too many other interests. And it also applies with our scientists as well. If the science and the circumstances were completely objectively independent every single scientist in terms of advice to the government in every country would be agreeing exactly the same way but they're not there's an agreement of the virus yes there's an agreement of how contagious it is yes there's an agreement about addressing it yes 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 and Scientists are doing important work. But the way to resolve it, the science of resolving it, that there is not, in my observation, listening and research, a consistency in the view between the scientists. And therefore, I use it as an example of a pleasant, sorry, a painful situation the mind of science is brought to it. The politicians of science is brought uh, to it. But there's no absolute objective fact in terms of response to it. So then the neutral feeling, which is supposed to be out of the science, really does influence. So factual information Science without the feeling element, therefore it's quote, quote, uh, objective. But the feelings are there. 
and will influence the view. Influence the view of our politicians, influence the view of you and me, influence the view of those who um, make a view about predictions. We come to that, the pleasant feelings. And Sonia spoke to you this morning about the importance of happiness and uh, joy and uh, the pleasant. It is important to recognize the power of the pleasant and the, the, the preciousness uh, of it. And one of the ways that we do that best is by not being busy. Busyness is the death of happiness. And the ego feeds on busyness. And somebody rings, oh, I'm so sorry, I can't talk to you. I'm so busy. And somebody knocks on your front door. Well, not now, not in this social isolation. Knocks on your front door and says, oh, just pop by. Just come to see. I'm so sorry, I'm so busy. Could you come back next lifetime? Or whatever it might be. So the ego, the self, likes to imagine that we're, it's busy. It gives the self a sense of being important. Oh, so busy, so terribly busy. Oh, there's so much to do, so much responsibilities. Yawn, yawn, yawn. So far more important than all the busyness now is when something touches us which warms the heart the pleasant feeling is entering into the field of experience and it's noticeable because it's felt felt in your chest felt in your body felt in your consciousness felt in your thoughts uh, there if we are not busy because we have no interest uh, in that that receptivity to the happiness and to uh, the joy has a chance to breathe. It gets a chance to move through the being. But if we're doing, 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 we won't even have time to feel because we're doing, doing, doing. And something lovely can happen around us, whatever it might be, our eyes might just fall upon the picture of Shiva and Pavati. Actually, in this Ganesh is in the middle. That must be the baby of the couple. Uh, uh, they're sitting in the Himalayas and Shiva with his trident and Pavati with a magnificent Indian sari, etc. But we're so busy, even the beautiful things in our home, we don't touch us no longer because we're too busy. So happiness and joy comes out of non-busyness. And we can still be full in the day. And I, I take it a bit more personal for, uh, for the moment. <clears throat> um, this morning, because the fridge was getting empty. So I went across, it's just a 10 minute walk from home. Uh, uh, across to the shop, uh, Green Life, one shop is called, and the other one is called uh, Happy Apple, and then to the store which sells all the kind of household things, 
and I needed a, a light bulb for the lamp uh, there. Came back. <clears throat> so it was out for maybe about half an hour. And if I may say, I think it was the first time I'd been out to the house since, uh, since Saturday. So, you know, one or two friends would say, oh, Christopher, gosh, you really are busy. If I hear this word busy, I tend to go, oh, God, no, <laughs> uh, etc. Uh, uh, there. So there is the day. And with people being at home, bless them, from around the world, they have more time, bless them. And then they think of people they can email, bless them. And one of those that will email is Christopher, bless them. And then they've got ideas of what we can do, bless them, etc., <laughs> etc. Et and all the other projects and initiatives which are going, uh, uh, going on in the, in the day and or in the night uh, there. But I know if it feels like busy, the sensations in the body start to change. There's a sense of more thought and hurrying. So it's not in relationship to what we do in terms of the doing, but the happiness and the joy and the love, passion, can still take place, but it just needs enough mindfulness to see, is the fullness of the day and the night, sometimes working through the night hours, got inspired by my grandson, he prefers to work during the night and during the day he studies. And there's an engagement with all that's to be done there, and the Buddha uses the great term, it really, it really uh, pleased me a lot when I uh, re read this 40 or 50 years ago. He says, we develop mindfulness, these are the words, to the extent necessary. Understand? To the extent necessary. He doesn't say anywhere, anywhere, you and I have to be mindful from moment to moment. There's nowhere in the teaching. He's not that ambitious for human behavior, including himself. So can, in the doing, as you go through your day, with your task and your responsibilities and duties, can you be mindful enough during the day to the extent necessary so you're not becoming speedy, not feeling pressure to get things done, quietly committed, and you just enough mindfulness to check if some reactivity is coming in. And, and at that point, to breathe, to stop for a few moments, to let go there. And then that can allow us to engage let's say at home in this case, fully and the passion and the love and the energy and the interest is there. And one can put hand on heart and have an extraordinarily full day right into the night there and hand on heart and say, yes, but I'm not busy. There's no stress, that's busyness. There's no excessive thinking. 
that's busyness. There's no dependency on getting things done to please people. So, as Sonia mentioned, the happiness and uh, the joy uh, experiences in the engagement with the doing and remembering to stop and to notice that uh, uh, Shiva and Pavati, which I got on, on a street from an artist in uh, India, <clears throat> is hanging on the wall and just to take a look. Hmm, wonderful, precious. A, a reminder uh, uh, in life of uh, the spiritual. But let's have a, a quiet minute together, shall we? And then I'll unmute you. May all beings be mindful of our worldly commitments. May all beings explore the exceptional diversity of what we might call the spiritual. May all beings live with love and wisdom. So, all right, unmuted, unmuted. <laughs> so, um, any, um, Think you'd like to ask or respond over the next uh, few few minutes? I'm uh, interested to hear your voices. As always, can be on the, the theme of today, or if you wish anything, anything else that feels important to you at the present time. Yeah, I would have a question. Please do, yes about this topic of today because of this busyness i mean i guess that we all have a job yes just um at least my job is not very relaxing mm. so and especially now in this situation of the home office where many people call or many people write emails yes have questions i 
I don't really have gotten a feeling or an idea about how I can somehow apply what you just talked about in my everyday life. Yeah. All right. So it's a good, a good uh, point. Um, uh, it's the quiet discipline of the mindfulness. <coughs> I mean by the quiet discipline, there is the work, is one area. There is um, the contact that people make with you, phone, emails, and so forth. So the times outside of that are really significant. Because the mind with a memory can carry the thought, oh, it's not easy to relax with work. Not easy to deal with all these requests. And that thought um, gets carried around and it builds and it strengthens a view about a situation. The situation is not the view. The view is the issue. It's not the work. It's not the people having contact with us. It, the view. So when that construct, meaning you with your work, you with the communications, when that's not happening, all those moments and times are genuinely, genuinely present and important. And to have the real mindfulness and recognition of life outside of the box of work and people. The second, and to give the reminder as well, the uh, practice, the word practice, in this case, will carry the intention as a practice of relating to the work as a practice in a relaxed way. If one says, or oh, the work isn't relaxing. <clears throat> the problem with the view is you've just handed your inner life over to the work and given it authority over your inner life. You've just given it authority. It doesn't have it. You gave it. Now you've got to get it back. And that means there is the work. Number of us are engaged day in and day out with the suffering of human beings. So it's not easy. But the relaxed view keeps the energy alive. We may not know what the relaxed view about it is. But if we do not give the work authority over our experience, there is an opportunity See, what, what is a, a relaxed view about this? What is a calm view? What is a clear comprehension of this? And whatever the work is you do, you'll be more effective. So it's a practice to find the resolution that the authority is with you. The practice is to appreciate and enjoy outside of 
the work and those communications. And if you work on that, you'll be fine. Just, it's a practice. Any, any clearer? <laughs> All right. Good, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Practice, practice, and sometimes practice, as we know, it's two steps forward, one step back. Sometimes it feels like two steps forward, three steps back. Still practice. We practice to find an ease in relationship to life. And therefore the calm and the clarity and the energy and the love can sustain itself. And if we give it authority, the external, and we are busy, love will go down, passion will go down, energy will go down, stress will go up. That's how it is. And sometimes, just finally on that, sometimes it's very lovely to meet people who are doing extraordinarily challenging and difficult work. We marvel at what they do, sometimes risking their life as well, or working extraordinary number of hours. She or he may not be able to explain why it is that they are so happy and steady and committed over the years while engaged in a very difficult job. They may not be able to explain, but somehow they've got it right. The wisdom is there. They may not be able to explain, but my suggestion is lean in their direction. Watch them, see how they do it. And maybe a little bit of wisdom will kind of rub onto us. <laughs> so there are people around who are just marvelous and extraordinary. And they can't explain it. They're not Dharma teachers, you know, they're not meditators. They've never heard the word mindfulness in their whole life, but they're living it. And they're happy and they're content and they're bold and they're brave and they're fearless. Oh, fearless. please, let me hang out with this person. Let me lean over here. I want a little bit of that. <laughs> They'll give it. They can't stop themselves. <laughs> All right. Anyone else? <clears throat> thank you. All right, thank you. Amos has written something in the chat. Who has? Oh, all right. Now this is the, the moment. I'm going to click on the chat once. And if I disappear out of this world, <laughs> thanks, Sonia. I'm, I'm keeping the glasses off, probably to avoid the chat. But we'll see. All right, here we go. Hallelujah. <laughs> all right, I'm going to read it out. <clears throat> My experience in um, uh, Corona times. Many of busy people now have much stress with a lot, having a lot of time for themselves and some family members are talking about to get rid of the 
non-working father, for example. Voilà. Yeah. The, the level of you know stress as the person points out in the family in the domestic situation um, really really is um uh, increasing and the, the pressures can be such that the anger level and the domestic violence uh, level um, is going up and I every day have a conversation on this because that's what my daughter's work is working with domestic violence and the healthcare workers who work with them so it's a conversation every single day this particular one and there are the consequences uh, this is one of them, of the, as it were, the virus in the mind. And therefore the happiness that Sonia spoke to you about this morning. Um, it's looking at our experiences this afternoon and so forth are really, really uh, important. And if you know anyone who you just have a little sense, needs some kindness and love and support, please, please do get in contact with them. Uh, there. When my daughter who only op opened up the website in November, called Mindfulness Support Service for domestic families, for healthcare workers in those fields, she just put a message do you, out, do you need support? We can arrange some online communications and support for you in the two counties north of London where she lives. In the first week, 9,000 people contacted MSS in a week. That's a reflection of what's going on and what the needs are. So we do not have the network. The news this morning said, because so many people are postponing going to the hospital in this country with various other things, including fears and concerns about having cancer but do not want to go to the hospital either because they don't want to put more work or they're afraid of the virus and many other reasons for not going now there's a deeper concern that those with illnesses there that those illnesses could be developing in six weeks six months one year's time there could be an epidemic of illnesses because they were not addressed early on due to the virus. So somewhere with all of this, our love and our kindness and our empathy is really re needs the reaching out and finding ways that we can give support to others. Because the consequences are painful and the difficulty of opening the front door to go out when we wish also has other concerns, obviously. It's not an easy one to attend to, and it's going to need our witness and our concern uh, 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 there to give support. Mums, fathers, children. Yeah.
Yes, anyone, uh, please. There was one, <laughs> I'm not sure if I should sell this, <laughs> but Mashona sent me, I hope you're okay with the, the swear, English swear words. If you're not, just mute for a moment. She sent me a clip. I think, it's, I think it was a bit of comedy, 15 seconds. The mother is having a recording, a short audio message to a friend. And she says, oh, this is a wonderful time. Time to be at home. Time to be with the children. <laughs> and then a voice, teenager, shouts out from upstairs in the house. This is the time to mute. And the mother shouts up stairs. Fucking shut up! I'm trying to talk on the phone. <laughs> Wicked. Wicked. <laughs> and it's a little bit can be a little bit like like that in people's homes. <laughs> Some of you are mums and dads would know exactly what I mean. <laughs> All right. Anyone else finally? <clears throat> I, I prepared just in response to the last question. Um, Ula and I spent we, as we say in English, burnt the midnight oil. She's a single mum with uh, uh, two kids living in a small, small room, maybe five meters by four meters, etc. There and doing all the work. So we spent hours, hours over a week or ten days putting together a mindfulness. Um, um, program for those who have to stay at home with those who live alone in mind, those who live with a partner in mind, those who live with a housemate, share space with another, and those with kids. And in this period of time, um, we put it all together, we made a total of 40 short video clips. 20 each and then there to be of us just talking on important themes mindfulness work communication listening to music reading um, silence contact with children relating to a partner so 40 clips we put together and then Ula did this we prepared the platform she prepared the platform for this. We put also all the work, putting it online onto YouTube, then doing all the emails and the sending out of all, uh, all of this and offering it free, making it, making it freely available to people. And putting all this together over these uh, uh, days, there's been really quite a, a lovely response. 
just approaching around 300 people are now using this uh, online course and we explain ways to use it and touching upon all the kind of themes that go on in the daily life at home as well as going to the shops and not getting lost in panic buying and one of our shopkeepers in Totnes <laughs> well, that made me smile it's a clothes shop the clothes shops you know is currently closed and, and, and the, uh, the owner of this little shop put a sign up in the window and the sign said panic buying is very welcome here <laughs> which I thought was brilliant <laughs> so it just shows the struggle of the shopkeeper closed at the moment until the government gives uh, okay so we get an idea we communicate it there we endeavor to follow it through in this case wishing to make it available to uh, people people respond to it with an access there may be something which you can offer and just put it out and it may even go viral if it's really sweet and insightful or it may just reach a few people there's the tools to get get something out which is lovely be creative <laughs> all right let's have our couple of quiet minutes together shall we and then we'll uh, call it a day <clears throat> May all beings be mindful. May all beings be creative. May all beings speak and act wisely. Thank you everyone for uh, lending an ear. Lovely to uh, uh, see you on the small screen. Um, this evening I'm on duty again, um, that will be 8 o'clock European time, okay. um, an hour early at 7, the first period of the 20 minutes, which is for the uh, talk on the theme, and then to, uh, oh no sorry, first 20 minutes of guided meditation, second 20 minutes the talk on the theme, and again some opportunity for some uh, uh, questions. Thank you. Thank you very much, everybody. Lots of love to you all, and look forward to seeing you again soon. Okay, bye for now. Christopher, one, one moment. Um, I think I'm on the 
Um, it's my turn. Oh, yes, right. Sonia's on tonight. I was on last <laughs> night. <laughs> Thank you, Sonia. <laughs> You're my fullness. All right, so uh, do uh, lend an ear on Sonia the, the, uh, this evening. Okay, we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> bye now. Bye, bye. 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 <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.